First Class Fatherhood. That is where Alec Lace comes in with his popular podcast. And one of the most interesting was on a podcast. Alec Lace interviews high-profile fathers from actors to NFL players with a vision to change the narrative of fatherhood and family life. Welcome, everybody, to episode 627 of First Class Fatherhood, which is a family-made media podcast. One of the top stories over the last week or so here has been Joe Biden's student loan forgiveness plan. Uh, It's got a lot of reaction from both sides of the aisle and a lot of different and mixed reaction from U.S. citizens, taxpayers, the whole bit. Today, I'm going to be joined by a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, Will Bunch, who wrote the book After the Ivory Tower Falls, how college broke the American dream and blew up our politics and how to fix it. There is no doubt that one of the major concerns for parents, myself included, is whether or not you should send your kids to college, bury them in all kind of debt. And one of the things that just seems eye-opening about this is the amount of people that are in need of paying off their student loans, which is just an indication that the college system, the college degree that they got, didn't hold its weight in water. They weren't able to pay back these loans. You would hope that you shell out this money to get this education that they call it. You would be able to equip yourself with some type of skills to go out there, earn the money to pay back those loans. But for so many American kids, that hasn't worked. And I know uh, many dads right now that are still paying off their college loans while they're trying to save for their own kids college fund. So there's a lot of trouble involved in all of this stuff. How did we get there? We're going to talk about all this stuff with Will Bunch today. I'm honored to have him on the podcast because I'm, listen, I'm in a position right now, full disclosure, I did not go to college myself. I am a, a diesel engine mechanic on the railroad. I've been working for the railroad for the last 23 years. It has provided me with the income and the ability to support my wife and four kids. Uh, So I don't have any complaints about the choices that I made about not going to college. Uh, I also didn't get hamstrung with a whole bunch of debt that I had to pay off. But I am at the point now where my two oldest kids are a junior and a sophomore in high school. And they are going to now, we are at that point. What do we do here? Do we send them to college? Uh, does he do the community college route, trade school route? What do we do? So that's why I'm honored to have a guy like Will Bunch here uh, to k- kind of go through all of this stuff. I know many of you dads out there are in the same position. So I hope you'll listen with an open mind today. And my guest today, Will Bunch, is also a national opinion columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer. He is an author of several books. He has won numerous journalism awards and shared the 1992 Pulitzer Prize for spot news reporting with the New York Newsday staff. Will Bunch joins me on First Class Fatherhood in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Will Bunch was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you'd like to watch today's conversation, please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube. Link is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, be sure you guys get over to my Instagram page at Alec underscore Lace to find out all the upcoming guest announcements. I got some really great ones coming your way soon. Wednesday on the podcast, NASCAR legend Kyle Petty will be joining me here. Uh, Kyle comes from a long line of NASCAR legends. Almost 20 years ago, he suffered the tragic loss of his son to the sport that he loves so much. Honored to have him on the podcast. Don't miss out on that on Wednesday. Friday on the podcast, former Navy SEAL Morgan Luttrell, who is now running for Congress in Texas, will be joining me here on First Class Fatherhood, so don't miss out on that one. As always, please let me spread the word about the podcast. Every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list and let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. So let's do this. College, yes or no? Let's jump into all of it right now with Will Bunch on First Class Fatherhood. (laughs) 
Joining me now, First Class Father, Will Bunch. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thanks, Alec. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, I'm excited to talk about your new book, After the Ivory Tower Falls. We're going to jump into that in just a second here, but let's start it out like this. How many kids do you have and how old are they? I have two kids and uh, somehow they've made it to uh, age 29 and a half and uh, 27 and a half. So, so I've seen... I've seen the wide uh, scope of parenting all the way into uh, parenting in the, in the late 20s, which is a big thing I've learned. So it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't stop at age 18 or age 21 or whatever. It keeps it keeps going. But uh, yeah, I've got a rich man's family. A, a girl, Julia, is 29, and and my son Jesse is 27, and uh, it's been great. Very cool. Yeah, you got the one on one, and that's one of the blessings of this show. Is my, I have four kids myself. My oldest is 16, just about to be a junior in high school. So I got a long way to go on my own fatherhood journey. Always get a chance to learn and grow from from guys who have been there, done that and have the experience that I'm yet to gain. So uh, always value the opinion. So if you could walk my listeners here through a little bit about your background and what you do. So I am a uh, journalist. In fact, right now I'm the uh, national opinion columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer newspaper, which is like my dream job. I get to, I get to write three columns a week uh, about mostly national affairs. Sometimes it's stuff going on here in Philadelphia, but, uh, uh, and, and I get to pick the topic. But uh, I focus a lot on politics, uh, somewhat on the media, um, social justice, or, or, or maybe injustice more accurately these days. Uh, uh, you know, sometimes what's going on with the economy, uh, and anything's fair game, you know, COVID-19, uh, uh, you know, I, I've written about all these things, and and uh, yeah, so I've been I've been a journalist now for 40 years. Uh, I, I covered some some part of every presidential campaign since 1984 when Ronald Reagan was running for re-election. So it goes it goes way back. And um, I've also written a few books over the years, and uh, I've mixed it up a little bit. My first my first book was uh, uh, when I was younger. I was kind of more into writing about culture, and I wrote a book about jukeboxes called Jukebox America, Searching for the Country's Best Jukebox, was just an incredibly fun book to write. And uh, But then uh, as, as I got older and I kind of established a name for myself writing about politics, I said, well, I should write probably books about politics because that's kind of my my audience. So uh, so I wrote a book about Ronald Reagan, actually, and about, about the uh, kind of mythologizing of Reagan on, on the political right and uh, how, that, how that came about and, and looking at looking at the real Ronald Reagan and his record. Uh, I, I wrote a book about the uh, rise of the Tea Party when that happened. Uh, I also did, uh, th- there used to be this series of eBooks that Amazon put out called Amazon Kindle Singles. And so uh, I did one about Occupy Wall Street. I did another one about Bernie Sanders. And again, because I wanted to mix it up, I actually did one about uh, one of the greatest football games ever played, the uh, 1948 Philadelphia Eagles winning the, their, their first NFL championship. In, in a blizzard that shut down the city, and the uh, the star player had to uh, take the trolley and, and walk the last mile to get to the game just in time. So it's a great it's a great story. So I, you know, I'm I'm a storyteller. I love telling a good story, and uh, 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 so I'm interested in politics, sports, music. You know, I guess I guess that's a lot of dad stuff, right? You know, it's that, I I always think that's like the big three for guys, right? Politics, sports, and 
and music, right? So uh, yeah, and, and all of those things that you mentioned there too. Well, I mean, it, it's a challenging time for parents right now in this country. There's no doubt about it. But take me back. I know you said your oldest 29. Take me back to the beginning of your fatherhood journey. Then, how old were you? And then, what, where were you at in the middle of this your professional journey? And how did the experience of becoming a father change your perspective on life? Oh. Well, it's it's interesting. It's funny because actually that that book I told you I wrote about jukeboxes. I actually uh, I, I did that book while uh, uh, was wrapped around the birth of my daughter Julia, my first child, and and uh, uh, that was a major theme in the book was just uh, trying to cope with adulthood and kind of giving up the uh, you know how much could I or not giving up, but how much could I hold on to the uh, you know the music and the fun of of pre pre-parenthood days. But yeah, I was, I was um, a little bit older. I was, uh, uh, I want to say 32, I guess, uh, or, or no, I guess I was even older, older than that. I was, uh, I think, 30, well, 33 when she was born. And um, uh, I was into it. You know, I, I uh, uh, you know, took a month off from work, uh, you know, back, back when, uh, uh, you know, parental leave for dads wasn't a big thing, you know, and you had to, you had to you had to not get paid for a month was the only way to do it and and, and I did it because I really wanted to be there for for every every minute of Julia and I, I you know I you know I, I don't know I, I would never claim to be the world's greatest dad and and uh, you know I, I uh, you know ended up doing some dumb stuff financially but in terms of of, of being there and and, uh, and being there for them I, I always tried to do that so uh, I was a big Diaper changer. I was I was big on the on the overnight shift on, on the diaper changes and the, and the feedings and, and and whatnot. And then uh, it was only it was only like I said only a couple of years until my son Jesse arrived. So we had we had two little ones in our house and uh, it, it it was a lot of work. You know, I it, it's it's interesting because I I did that first book I did that first book about jukeboxes when Julia was born and then uh, I kind of focused on just my job at the newspaper and being a dad and actually didn't write, I did not write a book for nearly 15 years because uh, uh, I think I was putting so much of my extra energy that outside of the 40 hour work week in, into being a dad. So, Very cool, Will. All right, let's, let's jump into this here. After the ivory tower falls, how college broke the American dream and blew up our politics and how to fix it. So what was the genesis? Why did you decide to write the book? Uh, who was the book for and what is it about? Um, I just, it's interesting because really, really there were kind of two separate tracks in, in my mind as I decided to write the book. One, one was the journalist in me, uh, you know, covering politics. Uh, I noticed that, uh, the big fault line in politics in this country seemed to be becoming whether or not you went to college, you know, um, more and more people who went to college were becoming Democrats, you know, this, this whole, uh, cosmopolitan, liberal, educated, urban or suburban dwellers, you know, uh, you know, certainly saw in the 2010s with the rise of Donald Trump, the realization that the Republicans were becoming the party of people who generally d didn't have college degrees, um, uh, the working class, the white working class, although we're seeing more and more Latinos and other groups, uh, working class people saying maybe the Democratic Party uh, is not for them, and uh, so I had a lot of curiosity about how it came about. I I would I would uh, as, as a reporter I would even though my own my own political mindset is pretty progressive or, or left left leaning I guess you could say, but I listened to a lot of conservative talk radio because 
I knew there was all this resentment on the right. And I was kind of fascinated by the fact that the resentment was not directed towards like the, the CEOs of the companies who were, who were laying off uh, working class people or, or shipping jobs out to Mexico. Uh, it was directed towards a certain class of people like journalists and college professors and, and Hollywood movie stars, you know, the professional the professional classes. And I, I wanted to know why did people on the right have this like kind of bitterness and resentment towards people with college degrees. So so that was part of it. The other the other part, which I think is maybe a little bit more relevant for us and our and your audience is is uh, uh, you know is a parent like like any parent uh, is their kids you know hit, hit middle school maybe uh, uh, the the chase of how I was going to send them to college uh, like I like I mentioned I, I made I made some financial mistakes uh, when I was in my 40s and uh, so I was way behind the eight ball in in saving for college and and uh, uh, really really once I hit my 40s I, I kind of gave up having any kind of uh, real active social life, and you know, I didn't have hobbies like playing golf or something. Um, on the weekends, I worked, you know, freelance writing. I took on these like weird, odd freelance writing jobs because I was so terrified that I wouldn't have enough money to pay for my kids to go to college. And, and if that happened, you know, if that day came, you know, when they graduated high school, if the money wasn't there, I would feel like a failure, you know. And um, and. I mean, I remember what it was like for my generation. I came of age in the 70s and, and uh, you know, going to college was an exciting time. And and there's still a lot of there's still a lot of excitement around it today. But there's also this sense of dread. And it's, you know, it's, it's both because of the money and, and it's also because of the prestige. You know, I think, fa- you know, families, there's been some good research on this. And I, I cite some of it in my book. But, you know, families feel that where their kid ends up going to college, uh, uh, you know, particularly if they're. In, in the class of people where most kids are going to college, you know, the, the, the middle to upper middle class, um, uh, where their kid goes to college says something about who I am, about our values, you know, about whether, you know, whether we have it together as a family because we were able to send our kid to the best college, you know, or, he did, you know, he didn't, he didn't drop out or whatever. So, um, uh, you know, I, I noticed that difference and that really kind of inspired me to, look at like what what was going on with college that was both making people angry politically and and but also what was going on with college that was making just every everyday middle class people so stressed out about the you know having the money and, and doing the right things to get their kids into college you know well one of the things that i mean obviously like i said i got four kids and and my oldest is going to be a junior so these are conversations that my wife and i are having and I, i've spoken to so many entrepreneurs on this podcast that have just really crushed it in life that that don't have that college degree. And I think there's a big difference between uh, the, the, uh, having a college degree and having an education. Uh, I think so many times we, we, we uh, misinterpret that someone has a college degree and we think that, okay, now they're educated. And I, I drive a lot of Uber as a, as a part-time gig. I'm a railroad mechanic. I drive Uber and I listen. I drive a lot of college kids, post-college, right in the middle of college. And listening to them, it's more about, it seems to me, the college experience than it is the actual education that they're getting. I'll ask them, like, because I'm a big reader. I'm a fanatical reader. I'll say, hey, what book are you reading right now? And they, they kind of look at me like I'm joking with them. Like, what do you mean reading a book? Like, they, you know, so I'm kind of, and this is a $50,000 a year college that you're going to. So I think, like you said, maybe it's more about having the name of the college they went to than actually getting the education itself. What's your take? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I'm sure you remember, and I'm sure a lot of listeners remember this scandal a couple of years ago that they called the Varsity Blues scandal, where you had a couple of these actresses like uh, Felicity Huffman, um, 
and um, uh, the, the other one from- I from forget Florida. her name. I know what you're talking yeah. about though. Yeah, uh, you know, that the, these families, and the, these are wealthy families. These people are million, millionaires, probably multimillionaires or whatever. And they were, um, uh, you know, pretending that their kids were like crew stars or, or they were paying people to take the SATs for their kids. And because they were so determined to get their kids in, into USC or, you know, some, 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 some somewhat prestigious college. Cause, cause that's the thing, you know, it's, it's, they want the status and, and the kids want the experience, you know? Um, um, I, I think one of the things that's really kind of messed up about the whole college system today. And I think, I think, I think you hit on it exactly is, the biggest thing about college is not so much what you learn during those four years. The biggest thing is when you're in high school, where you get in, because then down the road, and, and then once you get in, of course you need to graduate and, and do enough to graduate, but there's not pressure to do more. You know, there's not, there's not, there's not pressure. I mean, there's, there's statistics that the number of hours that college students study is like plummeted dramatically from the, I think, I think in the sixties, it was 40 hours a week. 15 years ago, it was 27 hours a week, and we all know it's less than that now, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, it's just kind of bargains, like, um, schools schools want the tuition, uh, kids want the status and, and the, creden the credential, because, you know, job recruiters are looking for that credential of a diploma, and if the diploma says Harvard on it, it's worth more than if the diploma says Cutstown University, and, but, that, but they're not asking you, you know, what books did you read at Harvard, or or what did you learn exactly what you said and you know i one of the things i argue for in the book is um you know we need to go back to systems that that value value people learning after age 18 wherever it is in whatever context and it doesn't have to be a four-year campus but you know um uh I, I think i think there's a lot of agreement among smart educators that um you know people in their late teens, you know, people who are college age should be developing critical thinking skills, you know, that they should, they should, you know, they should learn to think, they should learn how to, how to be better at communicating, and, and they should learn more about the world, you know, and um, uh, there's been, there's been a sea change. If UCLA, UCLA does this uh, big survey every year of college freshmen across the country, and in the late 60s, when they asked people, what's the purpose of going to college? They said it was to develop a meaningful philosophy of life was the number one answer, like 81%. Uh, by the mid 80s, the number one answer was, so I'll do better financially, you know, when I come out. And that's just been the sea change. And, and uh, like I said, I mean, we all want to do well financially, but um, uh, how, do, how do we get back to a system where people are reading the great books, where, you know, whether regardless of whether they're an Uber driver or whether they're do, or, or whether they're running a tech startup, whether whether they are learning and uh, look, you know look at the look at the problems we're facing now: climate change, uh, 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 our politics is riddled with people's ability to to buy into conspiracy theories like like QAnon or the conspiracy theories that led to January sixth. Um, so we we need a population that that's able to think. And uh, uh, how do we how do we foster a system that, that does that? Because the current system is failing. Yeah, and I think too, going back to what you said and, and talking about it politically, just from talking to dads from both sides of the aisle, uh, it, it does seem like there's this sense. Uh, I don't hear from, say, the liberal or the progressive uh, dad who has a fear 
of sending their kid to college and they're worried about them coming out draped in the American flag, loving America, being pro-military, pro-police. They don't they're not afraid of that. But conservative dads seem to have this concern of sending their kids to college and they come out hating America and being anti-police. And they're, and they're having the I've seen these battles and these struggles with parents who even are police officers and their kids come out and like now they're anti-police and they have these breakups in the family because of it. It does seem to be that the liberal progressiveness is dominating the universities in this culture. Would you say that to be true? Or what's your take on it? Well, yeah. I think that's true. You know, I, I, I don't think anybody can deny, you know, I mean, there's been there's been lots of research and, you know, the majority of the vast majority of college professors uh, are more liberal on the political spectrum. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, it, 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 this is true of all kinds of professions. You know, I think if, if you're going to become a police officer, you know, if you have a certain mentality about things like authority and patriotism and that sort of thing. If you're going to become a journalist. You have a certain mentality about questioning authority, that sort of thing. Uh, and I, I think the same is true for people in academia. Uh, again, it's, uh, you know, it, it's questioning authority. It's, it's liberal values. It's, you know, maybe things things like looking for absolute truth matters more than patriotism. Like, you know, if uh, um, what I get into a lot in the book, because it's so relevant to the state of college today, is there was a big turn against the idea that college is a public good that all of us, the taxpayers, should be supporting to the current idea of the last 40 years that college is somebody's personal responsibility that's privatized. And if, that, you, know, and if you can't individually raise the money to pay for it, you're going to have to borrow the money and hope that you can pay it back from your career. Where, where that all came about was, was really after the campus protests of the 1960s because there was a huge backlash. And the thing is, uh, you know, kids in the late 50s through the 60s, early 70s were going to campus to get what they what they call a liberal education, which doesn't necessarily mean politically liberal, although it overlaps kind of, but or general education, you know, it's like learning about subjects like sociology or literature, those sorts of things, and, and learning to be a better thinker. And what happened in the 60s was these kids, they took their critical thinking skills and they applied it to things like segregation in the South and the Vietnam War. And you had this huge protest movement on, on campus. And there was a conservative element in this country. You know, the, the rise of Ronald Reagan, he became governor of California in 1966. Basically, his big theme was that he was going to shut down these campus protests at, at Berkeley and some of these other schools. And, um, you know, Reagan, when he eventually became president of the United States 15 years later, his administration was the big driver of switching college aid, aid from grants that you didn't have to pay back to loans. So um, uh, the, these these are the roots of our political divide. You know, I mean, I mean, really, the main reason I did this book is I feel like the, the history of college over the last 50 or 60 years or 70 years, I guess, maybe, and the history of America over the last 70 years are just so you know intertwined with each other. Right. You know, that 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 you can look you can look at what was going on in college and see how it affected our politics and vice versa. And uh, that led to the situation, like I said today, where w whether or not you went to college pr pretty much seems to determine who you're going to vote for, you know, which is uh, 
something that nobody could have predicted that that's that's the way that's and the it way. shouldn't it shouldn't be that way i, I would think uh, that yeah. that should not be the way it is and and i'm curious to get your take on this will is because one thing uh, true to pandemic what we noticed is that and i think a lot of businesses noticed this too that while they're spending all this big money on office space, their workers can do the same job from home and they could save the overhead by not having that space for them to come to. And people started to realize you could do more things from home. All the kids in high school were doing it, although I went through with my kids. I thought it was terrible. Uh, it, it was a well because it was new. I should say that uh, it was typically getting used to doing the schoolwork from home. But there are colleges that offer these online degrees. I know it changed a little bit now, but for dr- driving Uber, if you maintain a certain um, platinum status, you are given free education at Arizona State University online and you can complete your degree on there and get your online degree. What is your take on that? Because obviously you mentioned the costs are astronomical. Kids are getting buried in debt. You have it now where dads are still paying their college debt while trying to save for their own kids to go to college. So it's like a double whammy. What's your take on the online degree? And can it be just as as good as the education in person? I mean, I mean, the online degree absolutely is going to be a part. But I mean, basically what's happening is the whole system is being disrupted. I mean, you've really had, I think, in the last two to four years, you're seeing this sea change where, you know, for, for decades, people accepted the way the college is and and people tried to play the game. It's like, this is how college works. I need to get my I need to get my kids into college. I need to I need to come. We need to come up with the money somehow or, you know, borrow the money if we have to. And uh, he, he's got to get that degree or he's going to be a failure. And what's happened in the last few years is people are really starting to question all of that. You know, is is it worth it? Is it worth it? coming out of this with, you know, 70 or 80 or $100,000 in debt, um, you know, or, or just just investing the four years because, uh, you know, for a job that's like IT or something where you can probably be trained for that job in a year. So so online is a big part of it. Um, the one thing, and this is kind of related, is uh, more and more companies, you know, I, I, IBM is really a leader in this. So IBM a few years ago said, we're going to go through all of our job categories and see if they, almost all of them now currently require a college degree. But let's look, let's look at them and see, do they, do they really need a college degree? And I think at this point, about half the jobs that IBM hires for, they drop, they drop the college degree requirement. And instead, they're working actively on helping develop uh, courses where people get, you know, certificates, they're called, or, you know, you get a certificate that, you know, you work for six months or a year on, on coding or IT or, or certain types of skills that, you know, don't necessarily require a four-year bachelor's degree. And, and you know, like you said, often this training can be done online. I mean, the cost is considerably less. Um, I, I, don't, I don't mind that being part of the solution. I mean, I do have some concerns about it. I mean, one, uh, you know, and I, as a parent yourself, I mean, you can imagine, I mean, going away to college is you do develop social skills and, 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 and other skills that if you're, if you're just studying from home, you, you don't, you're not getting that experience and you're losing out on that. And, and again, the other thing, the other thing I worry about is if, if higher education becomes just strictly career training, then I think we're missing out on something. We're missing out on critical thinking. We're missing out on, you know, for, I mean, for me, my, my think back on my college experience, the course that stayed with me the most had, had nothing to do with what I do for a living, but it was it was it was a course in modern painting because when I started that course, you know I didn't know a Picasso from a Kandinsky from a whatever, 
And now as an adult, I can go into an art museum and really appreciate the work because I took that, I took that course. And I think maybe, you know, and I, I don't want to see people lose out on those opportunities, you know? So, um, you know, how do we remake the system? I mean, I, I really feel like we need to get back to what people were thinking about 60 or 70 years ago, which is, again, making college more of a public good as the expression goes, you know, that uh, uh, to understand that society, the more people learn, the more society as a whole benefits. And so um, uh, the taxpayer should, I think, pick up more responsibility and, and not just for college. I mean, we should have we should have free trade school because, I mean, the trades, there's a shortage of good people going into, into the trades. And there's a lot of people who don't want to sit in the classroom for four years, but want those couple of years of, of training. And we should come up with ways to provide that or, or internships or other things to prepare people for the job market. Because the bottom line is there's a college problem, but the bigger problem is just, I think that we, we're failing our young people when they turn 18. Uh, you know, we're, we're kind of throwing them to the, you know, it's, you know, you've got K through 12, which we fund with our property taxes or whatever, and everybody's fine with that system. And then all of a sudden these kids turn 18 and we tell them they're on their own and the world has changed. And, and I think they need, they need a little bit more of a helping hand. You know, um, uh, I, I even, I even argue that we should, uh, really expand this idea of getting as many people as we can to, have, to take a gap year at 18 instead of, instead of either rushing off to college or not going to college, but just kind of dropping off the grid, which too many of these young people do. Um, you know, let's have some national service, whether it's around climate or working in schools or working in some of these disadvantaged communities. And um, uh, one of the advantages of that is you're bringing people from different backgrounds together. You know, people, you know, people from what we, what we call Trump country or flyover country or whatever name you want to give it, um, working together with people from, you know, New York or California and, uh, 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 you know, people of different backgrounds, races, religions, uh, because we need to foster more understanding in this country. Right now, right now we live in these very siloed communities, you know, people live in communities that are heavily democratic and heavily one class or, or they live in communities that are heavily Republican and, you know, heavily working class or whatever. And, and, uh, imagine ways of bringing people together for, for a year and, and, and thinking about common national purpose. There's no doubt that we, we need to come together as a country here somewhere. There is so much divide yes. in our country and it really is sickening to see how far apart we are becoming. Mm -hmm. And this is, like I said, with four of them coming up, I love to read books. Uh, after the ivory tower falls, how college broke the American dream and blew up our politics and how to fix it. These are important to me because gaining the knowledge is the most important thing. Listening to different aspects of it. I think for me as a dad, the biggest fear that I have is my kids not knowing what they want to do. Like, obviously, if they want to be a doctor, if they want to be a lawyer, they're going they're going to go to college. They're going to get in that field. But if they're unsure and then they spend all this money on a college degree of liberal arts and they don't know what it's for. So many of the kids that I talk to that have graduated college and they're worried, hey, what do you what, you know, did you go to college? Yeah. What did you study? They'll tell me what they studied. Is that what you do now? Oh, no. Now I work in retail. So it's like I don't want them to come out with that. No skill set to pay back these loans that they took out. That's the biggest fear I have as a dad sending my kids to the college. I, I know from my personal experience. I mean, my kids both did 180 degree turns and my kids both ended up getting master's degrees yeah, to help them do things that were in one case radically different and in the other case 
somewhat different from what they studied as undergraduates. And, and, and you see it all the time. That to me, that's one of the advantages of the, another advantage of this gap year idea, uh, you know, is give people another year to think about their aptitude, what they like to do, you know, give them give them some experiences out in the world to see what they like to do, you know, and then, you know, now you're 19 and okay, you're ready to go to college and you've learned something about yourself. And because um, we shouldn't, we shouldn't, we should, you're right, we shouldn't waste that time or money, uh, uh, you know, on studying something that, you know, um, you know, that's, that's not going to be what we're going to do. And, that, and, and you're right, it happens all the time. I, I mean, not just my kids, but their friends. Uh, and like you said, you, you know, a lot of people in the same boat too. So, uh, and, and it's, it's kind of an indictment of the system. Um, uh, it's one reason why I wrote this book is the system needs to be changed. You know, we need to, we need to, we need to start all over again, thinking about a, what is college for and B who pays for it? Whose responsibility is it? Well, listen, I think it's an important book, a timely book, obviously here after the ivory tower falls, the link to the book is in the description of this podcast episode. You can pick it up now. It's available. I encourage any of you dads like myself out there that got kids, college age, ready to go pick up a copy and check it out. Last thing I want to hit you with here, Will, I'd love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about to be father who's out there listening? Um, This may sound almost simplistic, but just be present, you know, I mean, because, you know, usually if you're a dad, if you're in your 20s or 30s and you have a child, it's it's usually a critical time in your career too, and you're going to have a lot of pressures, you know, to, to, to keep focused on your career and whatever, but you have you have to make that time to be there because you're not going to get those years back. You know you don't you don't want to be you know you don't want you don't want your kid to turn 21 and and regret that you weren't getting up at night and changing the diapers and you, you weren't there you know to you know when they walk their first step because you were at some meeting or something you know find find ways to be present because for me for me that meant so much you know I I I, uh, I worked a split shift for years so I could come home. Because uh, my wife also worked, you know, so so I was the one who came home in the late afternoon, and then then when my wife came home, I would go back in the office, and you know, I had to do more work. But but being there in the afternoon and picking them up from school, um, you know, that 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 really meant more to me than any you know award for writing or anything I've gotten, you know. So uh, so so be there, be present. Yeah, I love the message. There's been a lot of fun for me, Will Bunch, your first class father all the way, and thank you for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood. Alec, it's been great. I really enjoyed talking with you. It was a lot of fun. You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood. First Class Fatherhood is a family-made media podcast. Please visit www.firstclassfatherhood.com or www.familymade.com to find out more details. You can order First Class Fatherhood advice and wisdom from high-profile dads on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will never depart from it. God bless, and I'll catch you next time.